0: Welcome to NRP's Leadership Conference Podcast. Every February, pastors and leaders from around the country gather together at our Leadership Conference for dynamic teaching, powerful worship, impartation, ministry, and covenant relationships. Here's one of the recordings from our 2023 Leadership Conference.
1: But again, thank you for the privilege of being with you all and uh it's just so neat. It's so cool to just see the, the, the atmosphere in this room. If someone didn't interrupt you all, tomorrow, tonight it'd be 7 o'clock. You'd still be talking. It's awesome. That's a gift, man. It really is. Again, uh, you know, if, I don't, if I, I don't want to forget to say this, but again, thank you for the privilege of getting to come here and, and be with you all. It's been an absolute honor. And Pastor uh, Keith and Tenny, Penny, they're just, man, aren't they? I'm just so grateful for them. Aren't you grateful for their leadership? It's awesome. We're talking about the five things Jesus did to multiply the kingdom that we need to practice. Here's here's the fourth one. Jesus delegated authority, not tasks. Jesus delegated authority, not tasks. There's just a few things you you see Jesus giving them instructions to go do that are task driven. Luke chapter nine verse one, and he Jesus <clears throat> called the twelve disciples together and gave them power, the Greek word there is, of course, authority, over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus didn't have this group with him for 200 years. And by the way, we know that at his crucifixion, they all fell apart anyway. So wouldn't you look at this motley crew and think, there's no way. This can't work. You've invested all your time in people that can't even stick it out with you. But Jesus did not give them tasks, He gave them authority. Leaders with capacity will be insulted by task driven oversight. People with capacity will, when I mean insulted, I don't mean being spiritually mature, their grace will never come near your hoops and hooks. Their velcro won't come won't connect with you. It's like turning it backwards. People with capacity, their grace won't let won't permit them to be task driven. And so when our style of ministry is that we give tasks and not authority, when we get people who can fill a spot rather than people that can lead, we end up having to manage every task they do. This is a good defining question to ask. Do you have walk-away people or task-driven people in your key leadership positions? What do I mean by walk-away people? People that you can tell them what the, 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 the mission is and walk away. And your time is to give them focus on the why and what. Here's what we want to. Here's how we want to accomplish this, or what how, we want to accomplish this. And then you leave the how to them. And but you don't just you delegate. You don't dump. You, you're, you're still in, you're spending your time with them. So here's just it's a great thing to do. See, these are practical things. Look at your organizational chart. So I don't have one. That's a bad thing you have one you just haven't written it down yeah remember this about an organizational chart it simply answers this question who reports to whom and who's responsible for what that's it if i'm a person serving and there are five people giving me an instruction you're done but the reason that exists is because you rarely in that environment have leaders so task-driven people are always just trying to carry everybody's water So ask Jesus. This is a practice of Jesus. He delegated authority, not tasks. He called them, gave them authority, and then sent them. I want to say this and rest on it for a few minutes. When I say dream team, does everyone know what I mean by that? Because that's such a a common term today. Ministry of Helps. Most ministry of help or dream team recruiting efforts, they set goals to the multitude you need to get the job done or perhaps the 72, rarely the 12, and almost never the three. So in our system, we know exactly how many people we need to pull off a weekend. So how did you do that? I didn't. Someone else who has skills did it. I'll miss my flight today without help. I'm not kidding. They know exactly how many people we need on a weekend. They know that if we need, let's just say for numbers say we need one, a, a hundred people. We know that, that statistically 10% don't show up, so we need 110 to pull off a weekend. So the goal isn't hundred, it's 110. So is my staff, let's say my children's uh, director, are they responsible to go recruit 110 people? At that I wouldn't want that job. Or are they building leaders? See, here's the question. When it comes to building your teams, and this is for those of you now that are under the, that carry responsibility under the, the leadership of the senior pastor, are you trying to go get one off saying, Can you do this? And I need you instead of moving up and finding those handful of leaders that can build it for you. Well, those kind of people won't even talk to me. Then you're a lower level leader. And you have to grow your leadership quotient. Because people of a higher leadership capacity won't work for someone who's under it. Well, how do, you, how do I do that when I'm a young leader? Honesty. So the, the older leaders that helped me when I first started, here's what I said to them. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I know what I'm called to do and hell will freeze over before I don't step and act and believe God. So what I know God's called us to do, I don't know how to do it, but I'm telling you, they'll put me in a grave before I stop. But I don't, my, the one guy, and, uh, and he, he got on the board in the early days and I have a different kind of board today, but he said, uh, let me see your P and I said, well, what's that? You know, profit and loss. I thought it was a railroad. <laughs> On Monopoly. I'm like, we don't have one of those. He said, well, let me see your budget. I said, we don't have one of those. He said, how do you know if you have money? I said, we pay the bills at the end of the month. I go, woo <laughs> I need your help.
0: Yeah.
1: But what I don't need is for you to direct the vision remember aaron and her and moses on the mountain simple principle but get this aaron and her on the mountain with with mo right mo's holding up the stick mo drops the stick people die imagine you're dying you see your kid your kid died because mo couldn't hold a stick up i'd be like dude hold the stick and stick up because joshua was down there fighting the amalekites and Every time you drop that that stick, boy, somebody's dead. So Aaron and her didn't have a meeting and talk about how worthless Moses was. They came over and they never touched the rod. They held his arms up. What does that mean? They never touched the mission. They never touched the realm of authority that God had put on Moses. They held his arms up. They had to recognize his weakness to support him. It's really important. So when you ask for help, you tell them what you don't need as well. Because let me tell you about leaders. They want to make decisions. They want to solve problems. And they're going to ask you and try to get you to do things that they don't have a clue about. And when that would happen, I would say, that's really not your your world. And here's how I would do it to make it easy. I said, can you tell me three or four or five churches you saw where that worked? No. I said, would you do that in your company then? Would you add something to the mix of your entire company that you've never seen someone do before? I said, well, no. I said, well, why should we do it here? I said, this is where I need your help. It's so important when you when you recognize that very few leaders do what Jesus did, and aim to three. We're counting the 110 I need for the weekend instead of the six I need who will build it. It's very important. We focus on the 110, and that's what we're, good luck. And now, instead of that, I need to focus on the six or the three that will build it for me. Hardest thing you ever do as a pastor is to remove people who are volunteers and even staff because their capacity isn't there. People would say, well, you know, you should never let people go. I'm not an employment agency. You're either graced and called to do it. If you're not, that's okay. Go do something else. And we'll be kind and good to you. Like Jesus, we have to empower and equip the right people or multipliers to discover, develop their gifts, and then send them to use their gifts for the kingdom. Are you delegating responsibility to those people? There are leaders in my church that what they do in the secular world is unbelievable. So I take them out and I meet with them. Can I ask you a question? If you had, who's a popular Christian Christian? Worship singer, woman. I don't even know any. Is Carrie Job still popular? Last person I listened to was Don Francisco, so it's all right. So. Sorry, he's alive. Sorry, baby. So if Carrie if Job was in your church or Maverick Horse Ministry, I don't know, whatever, Maverick something, I don't know, whatever. If they're in your church, would you pray about asking them to get involved in the worship? Would you wait for them to come to you? Would you go to Carrie and say, Hey, Carrie, you come in here? Yeah, yeah. And, and you're here, what, what, 20 weekends a year? Yeah. Would, would you be a part of the worship? Well, I, you know, let me pray about it. Are you called to be here? Yeah. Then why don't you help me build this? Don't go so build everything out there. Why don't you help me build this? And get me five Carrie's. I need your help. Can you help me? Because this is what you're called to do. Let's do it here. So I'm meeting with, uh, there's a guy, C- he's a CEO. He doesn't have a clue what to do with his life spiritually. He's like, I don't even know what to do. I don't even what do I do for God? I said, tell me what, what makes you either weep or pound the table. He began to talk to me about the things that mattered to him. He starts crying like a baby. I said, that's what you have to do with your life. Here's how you can do it as a starting point here. may not end up there, but this is where it is. But I don't need you coming and throwing a a few bucks in. I want you to lead it. That company you built, I want you to build the kingdom. Those skills aren't for this. This stuff's going to all pass away. That was nothing more than a training ground for you to do something that's going to really matter. Ask people. Jesus delegated authority, not task. Can you pass the Acts chapter 6 test as a leader? Can you pass the stay in your grace test that they did in Acts 6? You remember the, the Hebraic Jews and, and the, the Hebraic widows and the Jew, Jewish widows? They had basically a church fight. And the apostles were trying to solve a problem. What do they say? This is wrong. We should not leave our calling, the word and prayer, to do that. What did he say? Select men among yourselves who gave their qualifications, including ability and character. And we will, listen, turn this over to them. They were so deliberate they laid hands on them. And then they left it. And those six men solved the problem. And I wish we had the story of all of them, but we know two of them. Stephen started serving tables. He ends up preaching and being martyred. Philip ends up an evangelist. You don't know the starting point and the ending place of the people that you release. But you'll never know if you don't release them. It's really important. So, so very important. Process questions. Have I delegated tasks or authority? Put a percentage to it. Can those I've entrusted in key roles... Attract and develop leaders. That's a great one. Do they independently solve problems? I know y'all like me, you got people in places, oh, they cause you trouble. They just thought people are always, they're ticking people off. They're horrible with people. That's not their fault. I put them there. They're just rude. They don't have people skills. So what do we do? Put them with people. Well, they're faithful. Well, not really. They love God maybe, but they just don't belong there. Do the people you put in authority solve problems independently of you? And can they execute the vision without you? Can they execute the vision without you? The last one is much more succinct, the fifth one. Jesus ended his mission committed to his leadership methods. He started with investing in 12 and when I begin to read this and you can find it in Luke 24 and Mark 16 at the ascension I don't know why I always saw there were like eight nine hundred people there if you read the, the the both Luke and Mark's account you see it more detailed in Mark there were 11 people there at the ascension 11 Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to he that believeth There were 11 dudes. I got to be honest with you. I look at that and I go, Savior of the world ascends into heaven, gives his final charge to 11 people. And then he left. And it wasn't like these dudes were tearing it up. Six weeks ago. Right? Why do you think they acted like they did in Acts chapter 6? They were taught that from Jesus. Narrow focus. He left the Great Commission to 11 people. This, he required them to start the kingdom of God with the very same principle. Narrow, 11 people. Wasn't long we see in Scripture those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. How'd they do that? They multiplied. Why? Because the ministry of Jesus obeyed multiplies through imperfect people. And so the final question I would have for you and then we'll do our best with the Q&A. Am I following Jesus or have I determined that I have a better way? Think about it. Ask and answer these questions honestly. And where you find yourself wanting, get resourced and helped. Holy Spirit, your helper. Say, Lord, I, I just don't see. I, I, I don't if you I don't know if you've ever felt stuck. Whew. Man. The last thing I'll tell you is this. As I'm working toward transitioning the church to the next generation, I'm spending Literally 80% of my time with my staff, making sure I have the right people in the room. And literally, I'm gonna spend the next two to three years. 80% of my staff time will be with those seven to eight people and nothing else. Why? Because it won't be there soon. If they if it can't, see, I I I operate the church as a founding pastor. When you founded something and you've been there 30 years, you can break a lot of rules. Just simply because people know you and they understand where you're good, where you're bad, where you're nuts. But the next guy coming in, he won't be able to navigate that crazy world. I'm building a structure for the next pastor that they are prepared to take vision and execute it. And if they, listen, and, and here's what I'm telling you just point blank. If they can't execute in that room, they won't be in that room. They'll either move down in the organization or move on. That's that's ruthless. Know what's ruthless is caring more about somebody's, quote, job than someone's eternity. I don't know if you're a pastor like me. In the early days, they would tell us, Steve Moore is my executive pastor for years. He said, Nuzo, it's the best place to get fired. I'd let somebody go and pay them for seven months. Not because they were moving on. for. I mean, they did something, I don't mean immoral, but they would do something stupid and need to get fired. I'd pay him for seven months. He's like, this. I, I, I would come here just to get fired. <laughs> we're still very good to people, even on the exit. But I, I, I keep the mission first. But we're also very clear with our staff. This is what you're here to do. At any time you don't want to do it, it's okay. At any time you can't do it, and the resources don't help you get there quickly, Eternity hangs in the balance for people, and someone else will be in that role. So, those are the five, and it's my hope that that some of those things will give you some things to process after the fact. And so, uh, we have the remaining time; we can we can do the Q and A.
0: Thanks. John, they got a lot of questions for you, buddy. You've done created a mess here, I'll tell you. Thanks a lot. Good job. Good job. Amen. It's my wife's fault. Yeah. Now, a lot of the questions... Oh, here we go. Here's my computer skills. and I... Oh, here we go. Okay, thank the Lord. <laughs> Doug was praying in tongues back there as soon as he saw me with my iPad. So a lot of the questions are, like, similar. So I'm going to edit and condense, okay? Yes. Yep. And I'm going to try to go to just... You know, some of them are just a little complicated. We wouldn't be able to get in here, but but we'll we'll work on it. So we had uh, this question in several different versions. Here's the most condensed version. How do you effectively have the conversation with someone who is in a position that is outside of the grace and help them move to a position that is? Sure. That's one of the hardest things to do as a pastor. Uh, You guys know who
1: Dave Ramsey is? He has a great statement. He says, to be unclear is to be unkind. Most people find out they're failing at, at a time frame that's that's unfair. If I'm going to give someone a responsibility, and that responsibility should be measurable, a goal should have a, a timestamp to it. It should be measurable. And it shouldn't be arbitrary. I shouldn't just get to drop a goal on somebody. It should be a discussion and say, Do you think we can, and okay, we set a goal, whatever that goal might be. And now they are reporting against that goal in a timeline. Now, do things come up that will extend the timeline? Yes. Do can they maybe get it done quick more quickly? Yes. Now I'm meeting with them. How are you doing on your goals? Great. Is there any way that I can help you? Is anybody I can connect you to? You hitting any roadblocks? No. Everything's great. Come back. I, now I've spent 40 minutes with him going over. Now I meet with him again three weeks down the road. Now we're getting close, and I say, hey, man, we're, we're pretty close. Where, where are we at? Well, yeah, just, Pastor, there's no way we're getting that done. When did you know that? Well, you know, I was just trying to, I didn't want to say anything. Yeah, now, now you lied to me. I brought you, we, I, I'd given you four, you've wasted five hours of my life. I can't get back. I ask you questions, and you lied to me. That's not good. Well, you know, I didn't want to disappoint you. You lied to me. I ask you if I can help you. I, have, I may not have the answer, but there are reasons. So what I'm doing is demanding integrity in the process. So if somebody is failing, they know about it within a couple, three weeks. What's your next, What are you doing this week to achieve that goal? Praying? Yeah, okay, other than that. What are you going to do? And they don't know. Now, well, you should tell them. Then, I, then if I have to tell them, I, they can't do the job. Capacity means I don't have to tell. If, if I have to go to the guy doing brain surgery for my, over my kid and I go, no, listen, here's how you hold that scalpel. It's like, nah, that's not a good day. I can give you the values of which we do. We give you the boundaries of the values that we have as a church. And and those are very clear. The way I expect people to be treated with dignity and care. People are not a commodity. They're the reason Jesus died. All the value things are there. So if I ask, in our case, say a staff person or even a volunteer, it would be, so tell me what you plan to do in the next two weeks to achieve the goal. You'd be surprised how many people look at you and go, I don't know. When were you going to determine you didn't know and do something about it? I don't know. You got the wrong person. So what do you do? So, you know what? I failed you and asked you to do something you're not right yet, right now ready to do. So let me take this off of you and take this burden off of you. And let's find something else that you can cut your teeth on to develop some of these skills. Well, I can't believe you're just taking away from you. Just to... it's like, shut up. Would you put up with that with your kids? Eternity hangs in the balance. So when somebody acts immaturely, when we're trying to deal with real issues, I just stop and ask them. Is, is, do you, is that how you treat people? Is that how you talk to people when you get frustrated? Because that doesn't work here. It doesn't work in the kingdom. Have I ever talked to you that way? Have you ever heard of me talking to anyone that way? So why are you doing it? I'm upset. Okay, well, grow up. You know, welcome to life. And I, I hear my father, but I don't say what he says. No one cares how you feel, I'm sorry. Make clear boundaries for people, expectations, report against them and help them. And so you work with, I don't know how to, okay, let's work. And some of the things you can just help them and you can connect them to resources. Here's what i ask if you're on my staff or even a lead volunteer developing something find three or four churches that are doing this and meet with their key person and ask them you know how many people i've told that to and they go oh come back three weeks who'd you who'd you call well i haven't got around to it yet okay you're not going to work here for much longer then because you're telling me you have to learn everything by experience and I, what I can tell you is that it's a good teacher, but the tuition's way too high. <laughs> and you aren't that smart, and you don't need to figure it out. I mean, no one will talk to me. How many of you people have you tried? They won't do. That's okay. We're done. You can't work here. I love you. We'll help you on your next step. There's, a, there's an old adage that says, "Hire slowly, fire quickly." When you know someone can't get it done, I would much rather, as a pastor, give them a six-month Pay pay them for six months. You you shouldn't, but just say, because pastors, we can be a little codependent. It's okay. Because you're going to waste six months anyway. And they're going to infect everybody around them. My greatest regrets as a pastor are the people I didn't fire. And I'm going to tell you why. Not because they were bad people. They infected other good people. And I carry a burden in my soul to this day for those people. They never would have been tempted that way had I done my job. And by the way, the person that ended up leaving, they don't like you anyway. They go. Isn't it funny? People, you you fight for everything to keep them on your staff. They'll leave you in 30 seconds and badmouth you on the way out. Give people measurable goals. Hold them accountable. When they can't do the job, move them and be honest and have clean conversations
0: hey Amen. I've got a whole series of questions here John I'll blend them together is there a minimum standards for your leaders if you have a high capacity person in the world join your church but they are a spiritual child how do you bring them along and so in selecting people that are a are able is it dangerous to pick someone who's successful in their field uh, because of a personal ambition but may have not be faithful in some things like kids marriage and character Sure
1: if you look at the standards that Moses had, the standards that even they had to wait on tables, the values are immutable. It isn't faithful or able. It's faithful and able. Now, that doesn't mean perfect. And so if somebody's working in a secular uh, world, I'm, I'm going if, to, particularly if they're taking a serious role, I'm not just meeting with them. I want to meet with them and their wife. I say, look, guys, you're about to go into the firing line if you go into this world. You're going to become a target. And I don't want you, your family or you being a casualty. So I have some questions for you. How are you doing as a couple? Rate your marriage for me on a one to 10. Nothing's a 10. And you begin to ask questions, not to condemn, but to, to locate people. Our values are very clear. So I'll just go through the values. And I'll walk right, this is, tell me what you think. And, and I'm looking for them to, you ask questions and if you'll ask questions, people will tell you all kind of stuff. I'll look at the spouse. What concerns you about he or she doing this job? And if, you can, if you're comfortable with, with dead space, it's amazing. Well, you know. i wait. You'd be amazed what you're told. So, but then I also realized that there are some people that can be on a growth track personally. And then ultimately they can step into something more effective. So.
0: Yeah, you require all our staff to have a growth track. I'm, oh, I'm, yes. Penny and I are part of some of that growth track with some of our leaders. Yes. And that's required. You have to grow to stay in leadership. Oh, yeah. You got to have a marriage plan, a financial plan, a spiritual growth plan, and a discipleship plan. Yep. And There's a fifth one. I forget what it is. But but you got to yeah. have five. Surprise, I don't remember. You, ha- you have to grow as a leader.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if you aren't willing to do that, I'm not angry at you. Okay. But I respect your
0: choice, not your rhetoric. And I I would just say this too. One of the most unique things I think about our church is that these key people have been on staff for 25 years. Not, I mean, a bunch of them, the glue that makes that's, they have bought in, they're part of this. So what he's talking about is not a theory we're walking this out. And that's where this is coming from. It's, we're in the generations now of this happening. Yeah. So yeah. it's pretty cool. It really is. Yeah. Remarkable. Amen. Wonderful. Uh, how do you help ministers who base their identity in what they do learn to delegate their role to people who have a similar grace on their life?
1: You know, the, I think all of us have a level of insecurity. And I think you'll find more insecurity in, in pastoral ministry than in anything. Because it's, people can be cruel. And um, But there's something I've always asked myself. I'm, I, just, I just did it the other day. I asked myself this, and it's with the situation that I have to deal with. It's not in our church, but it's another outside leader that I deeply love. And it's, it's really messy. So here's how I process it. I stopped and I said, okay, Lord, what will I wish I would have done 10 years from now? When I look back at this, what will I have wished I would have done And to me, it's almost like a, uh, it creates a clear path of wisdom for me. When there's an insecurity in you, it's because you have an identity problem. And you'll never solve that with harder work or trying to change people around you or beating yourself up. It's discovering where your worth comes from. Because God's not for you because of what you do for him. He's for you because he loves you. And because he loves you, you can serve him. And so once your identity is connected to what you do, you're actually going to be, just by definition, you're going to be ineffective. Because you're no longer serving people, you're serving for your own benefit. Even if it's unknown to you. Insecurity is is, is a disease that the person inflicted with it is the, usually the only one that doesn't know they have it. They, they, don't, they don't know, but everyone else can feel it a thousand miles away. Do, do you diminish people in your words that you don't even know? I'll give you an example this is, this is a broad spectrum but the Mars Hill podcast thing and uh, I don't know I, I don't know I haven't listened to it I had uh, four or five guys whatever got together and uh, Mark um, Driscoll they crucified him in a podcast and I, I had so many hey man, did you listen to the podcast about Mars Hill and I said I'd rather drink vomit to go listen to five boneheads destroy another Christian. All right. Well, you just need to know. From who? You? If that was Mark, if Mark Driscoll was your brother or your father or your sister or your child, would you have done that nonsense? Well, no, I love them. Oh. Yeah, but you know, we just need to unpack those things. That's a load of crap. Let me tell you, if you get a box of crap, don't unpack it. Look, I don't know mark driscoll. I don't know. I, I don't even know what happened to him You want to know why I won't let anybody tell me You want to know why it's none of my business Unless i'm involved in a person's restoration. He is another man's servant And I found my bible said who are you the judge another man's servant He's not my servant. He's god's and there are people helping him and Jimmy Evans, y'all know who Jimmy Evans is. He does XO Conference, came to our church, and he wanted, he, Jimmy Evans and Mark and uh, Robert Morris restored Mark and, and got him filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, the crowd that he really hung out with crucified. Now, I really don't know what happened with Mark. I don't even want to know. But here's what I do know. Jimmy calls me and he says, hey, I want to bring Mark Driscoll to the XO. Are you guys, okay? are you okay with that? Actually, it was Jimmy's son called me. I said, are you guys confident in him? I, I, I don't. I said, yeah, but you might take some heat for it. I said, bring him. None of my take heat. Who am I going to take heat from? You that are spiritual, restore such a one. Someone listen to unspiritual people? Oh, I can't believe you brought Mark Driscoll. Well, you're not spiritual enough to blow your nose. Do you care about Mark Driscoll? If two people like Jimmy Evans or Robert Morris feel he's restored, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, no one asked you. That stuff just ticks me off. People be, Don't talk about people. Actually do the word. Speak the best, love the bleeds the best about people. Come on, man. And if you're dealing with something broken, then you deal with it. You be honest. You be redemptive. I'm not talking about blown off stuff but well, come on man just it'll help you so much if you just refuse to build yourself up at the expense of tearing down
0: another. Yeah so anyway amen during church planting what would be your process with bringing people into leadership? what would that process look like? you know
1: I haven't planted for 30 years. So it's very hard for me to speak to the current environment that what that looks like. I know there are movements that will help you kind of help vet people and discover what they are, but no matter what you do, do not give people titles and positions that are permanent or sound permanent so that they help you. Always say to people, for now, would you be willing to help us with this and give it a time period? And we'll reevaluate it in and so in six months, if I feel it's not right or if you do, we, no no harm, no foul. But sometimes we learn to encourage people or we enlist people by giving them a name. All right. All right. Come on. And the only, a young pastor that, I, that planted out of our church, he had like three people that were associate pastors and he had like 80 people at this point. I called him, I said, man, what are you doing? So why do you, you have like three associate pastors. I said, why? Well, you know, they're really helpful. And I go, why are you giving them that name? They're not pastors. You have 80 people. You don't need three associate pastors. What he was doing is that if I gave them a title, they would. That all three of those people stung him. And it wasn't their fault. He set them up. He told them they were something they weren't. And when they weren't what they thought they were, now he has to deal with it. He lied to them. And now he's mad at them. I said, don't blame them. You lied to them. So stop calling guilt. Don't give people titles. Give them functions. And if they need a title, they're just spiritually immature. And so, so I would just encourage, I, I'm really, I try not to speak to things that I don't have a, because I, 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 I keep you, if you plant a church like me, just shoot the church. I did everything you could do to kill a church. I just no, I can't but I can tell you this be honest with people, give them clarity give them a time frame in which you're going to begin and end and reevaluate do not call anybody a pastor unless you know they really are Keith and Penny came to our church, he's Pastor Keith why? because he is one he's not one in waiting so anyway I hope that helps a little but I really can't speak to that in great depth because I <laughs> I'll mess you up if I tell you how to plan a church.
0: How do I determine if something is within the grace of my calling? Is it a stirring? Is it identified with the talents and gifts God has given me or something else? None of the things we do, for the most part, am I gifted to do. Um,
1: None of them. None of the things that are necessary to bring it to pass are my gifts. I am one of the most narrowly gifted human beings I think God ever made. I'm not, I'm not being self-deprecating. I mean it. I feel like my part in the body of Christ is just about that narrow. But that's where I stay. But the vision that, I, that Michelle and I had on October 17th, 1993 hasn't changed that much either. Now, it's, it, how it's fleshed out, obviously, we couldn't have foreseen it all. But everything we're doing right now, including reaching the Northeast, I said that first Sunday. And if it wasn't for the people that God has brought and the grace that he brought around us, oh my Lord. People come up, man, look at that church you built. It embarrasses me. The key people on my staff built that church, solved the problems, built the teams, developed the people. Pastor Keith mentioned five things we do. I didn't remember four of them. (laughs) I'm being honest. Oh, it's awesome. We do that? Yes. I'm not joking. They probably told me six times. I don't remember. And it's not because I'm 62. I didn't get, I didn't remember at 25. So what has God put in your soul? Listen, for people. Vision that doesn't start and end with people. We'll always get blurry. Can I, can I tell you a story about how that fleshed out for us? Um, my wife grew up abandoned by a father, devastated her life. Uh, it, it's hard to even exaggerate what it did. And any of you that grew up being abandoned by a parent, you know what that feels like. Eight years old, he disappears. She doesn't even hear of him again until she's 18. And she has this longing desire to help single moms our churches. I don't think we were a year old. She comes to me and she said, sweetheart, we got to help single moms. She said, Shelly, we don't have any money. We don't have anything. Nothing. I mean, I'm saying, I mean, poor people went up to me and were like, hey, we're so sorry. <laughs> but she didn't care. She said, baby, we, we, we can't wait for money. We have to do this. I said, honey, the stuff you want to do costs money. And I so I came home one day from, uh, from, from church, or the office we were renting, and she hands me $1,500 in cash. She said, let's get started. I went, baby, where'd you get $1,500? I mean, it might've been, it's like 20,000. I was like, where'd you get that? She said, I sold my wedding ring. It took my breath away. I said, the one I gave you? <laughs> she said honey it's a ring and she's crying these are people that's a vision and there's a reason why our church is known for helping thousands and thousands and thousands of people not because Michelle's doing it but because that heart was so palpable and she is is Narrowly gifted, maybe even more narrowly gifted than me. Honestly, I'm not joking. He said, why would God pick two people with such little capacity? Grace, faith, and humility. And immovability when it comes to the vision of God and watching it flourish through other people. There are so many people doing I don't even know all the stuff that they're doing. I get people all the time... Thank you for what you did for us. I go, what? And they tell me, and I go, I didn't know we were doing that. Honestly, I'm not exaggerating. i really, it's multiplied. It's, it's, it's I, I don't believe I go to, I can't believe I even go to church there. I'm not joking. I go, and I go, I can't believe I go here. So, that's, I'm being honest with you. I really mean it. Okay. I'm not okay. joking. It, I'm it, not joking. It, it, yeah.
0: And this is real. They are very real people. They, they, they are us, you know, the values, the character, the culture. It's, they just allowed that seed to stay in the ground and kept watering it, believing in that vision and would not let up on that. John's vision intensity, he'd be the first to tell you, is what grew the church, not his gifts. Yeah. He tells people that all the time. But what he's done is he's gone out and found gifted people that wasn't intimidated by their gifts. Yeah, it's it's fun. Our it's, church is known uh, for being generous with money, generous in character, and generous in embracing people. And in it, it there's a generous spirit in the house. I, I don't know how else to say it. But. Okay, one more question: What checks and balances, people, systems, etc., have you put in place over thirty years of ministry to reduce the number of bad decisions you make as a lead pastor? I don't make decisions alone. Narrowly gifted people, particularly
1: visionary people, see, we see very narrowly. We see 30 miles away or 100 miles away more clearly than five feet away. The presumption because I see something that I know how to execute it hurt us in the early days terribly. So now when I see something in my heart, I go to my key guys. And if I, if I were in, in the early days, if I just had key people I trusted, I would say, look, I see this. I know we have to get there. And I know that it's gonna, we're going to have to make some steps of faith. What am I missing? And by the time they're done, I'm like, dog, all that stuff? Yeah, Pastor, we, and before long, there's six, seven, eight, nine things that need to occur done by other people before I even say anything publicly. I used to give direction to my staff while I preached. <laughs> and then they come up to me and say we're gonna do that and i go what <laughs> what you said when you preached?" i said i don't remember what I said. <laughs>
0: that's in effect so yeah amen so. amen have you received something thank you guys okay we're gonna do something
1: for more information on our annual conferences including our leadership conference women's conference, men's conference, youth leader intensive, and youth camps and conferences, visit nrpastors.com. To check out all of our podcasts, including the Leadership and Context podcast by Keith Tusi, the Flourish Women's podcast by Penny Tusey, and the podcast for all of our
0: conferences, click on the podcast tab on our website. We can't wait to see you at one of our conferences soon.